There's been a tremendous challenge in terms of scaling to support the wide variety of React projects that exist. Mighty Meld will understand your code, however it is you wrote it. That aspect of scalability has been a huge challenge for us. And even just like the way you decide to phrase your JSX and the, the kind of syntax variability that we see in code bases. And I still remember the early days of, you know, it's like, how many, does this work on any code bases? We kept downloading open source code bases and being like, doesn't work on this one. It's not a traditional scalability challenge. It's more of a, how can we build that genuinely agnostic solution that goes with the flow of however you want to architect your app? My name is Stephen Skolny, and I'm the founder and CEO of Mighty Melt. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Took six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Stephen Skolny is enabling you to fly through UI updates by visualizing your React code. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open-source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there, too. Terso makes this easy, utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Stephen Skolny has a standard tech story. He was good at math and loved computers, so he got into programming. What sets him apart in the industry, though, is his passion for design, art, and creativity. He's a self-taught designer, but really jams when his right and left brains are firing at the same time. Outside of tech, he's married and enjoys gaming and digging into YouTube. Stephen was working on a VR project in the past, and a component required some web development. What he immediately noticed was that Unity development was visual, but web development required you to build in the realm of code. He started to wonder if there was a way to bring this sort of thing to web development. This is the creation story of Mighty Meld. Mighty Meld is a React dev tool that makes it faster and easier to build React web apps starting point for Mighty Meld actually goes back quite a while, almost a a decade. I was working with a friend of mine. We were working on actually a VR project using the Unity game engine a lot to build it out. And for some reason, we we had to do something on the web. And so we started to do a, a bit of web work. Going from that Unity experience where everything is visual, where you can see your app running, you can change it, and it's very immediate to the web world where 
you're doing all your visual work in, in the non-visual medium of code, CSS, style sheets, and things like that. Like, why does the web not have anything like the Unity game engine or Xcode to help make the process of building web apps visual? And we didn't really have a good answer at the time, but the problem stuck in my, my head. As I watched the web evolve and got more involved in the web ecosystem and saw the developments around React and design systems, I started to think that such a thing might actually be be possible. And so I started to build it and you know, a lot of steps along the way, but that's basically how we ended up with Mighty Meld, which is a visual dev tool. It runs in the browser. It basically allows you, while you're running your app, to understand its structure, to see the React components that are driving it, to see the code that's driving it, and actually go in and start to manipulate the visual layer of your app directly and immediately. And it updates your code base for you as you work on your app. Since we've gotten in good working order, there's just a lot of potential, untapped potential, when you connect your dev tool to your actual code. Let's dive into what you would consider the MVP, so that first version of the product you built. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools were you using to, to bring that first version to life? Even before the MVP, there was a prototype version, and it was almost more like a technical alpha to prove the technology. This is actually before I built my team, and we, I was using tools like React and Node.js, and also this technology called Babel. Babel is very important for the kind of compiler-like aspects of the project. And what that prototype did was it loaded up React components and allowed you to look at them in the browser and then manipulate them, and it would update uh, their code as you manipulated them. It was a really successful prototype in terms of demonstrating the core technology, but it also led me to realize that we actually needed to take an entirely different approach if we wanted to get to the kind of productivity gains that we really needed for hardcore web developers. And then that's what sort of led to what I would call the MVP. So even in that early version, prior, prior MVP, or maybe maybe for the long, kind of in that general area, you, you when you're building something like this, you got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, right? Around approach, right? Around how you're going to have the conversation, around you know the why, all those sorts of things. Tell me about some of those you had to work through and how you cope with those decisions. Really, the biggest decision we worked through, and this is how we transitioned you know, from prototype into a true MVP, was about workflow. This approach where we had a tool that loaded components, it turned out that it worked It worked really well, but in isolated use cases. As we started to look at real production code bases and, and point this tool at more and more production code bases, we realized that most components in a React app are actually really quite complex. They don't really function without the whole running application around them. We want something that works easily and with everything. And so we actually, as we went to the MVP, started to build it in a different direction. Whereas instead of loading individual components, we started to say, we're going to start with your running app as the sort of home base. And we actually built a technology that works alongside your running app. So we could call this a web app studio as opposed to a component studio. And really started to build something that ran on your entire app. And this was a lot more challenging to build, but it really gives developers the power they need to work on any part of their app in a visual way. Once we crossed those hurdles, we really started to experience what we knew was the experience developers needed to have that boost of productivity. The same thing I'd felt with the Unity game engine and some of these other tools I'd worked with outside of the web started to, to come to life. 
This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, utilizing zero-trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. So let's go from the point where you've got the MVP. It's working. You're getting some traction. You're getting some good feedback. How did you progress and mature the product? And how did you build your roadmap? How did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Mighty Melt? Our secret ingredient has been community. And maybe it's not that secret. I know a lot of companies talk a lot about community. I feel like Mighty Melt is even more community than a lot of early stage companies because we are a bunch of web developers building web development tool for web developers. And we've had so many great relationships with so many developers as we've matured the product. Pretty much all of our roadmap comes from feedback from developers. And that really comes in two ways. There's watching people try the the product, seeing the things they stumble on initially and doing that kind of initial user testing. And that's really helped us smooth over a lot of the sort of wrinkles and help meet people's expectations. And then there's this other level of, of feedback we've been getting from developers. And that's the stuff that really comes along as a creative tool. It's something you use every day for hours in your work. And there are things that come along 20 hours in. A lot of the things around, for example, how we manage untracked files in Git. And so that's really been how we've nurtured our product. And it's just been tremendously rewarding for me to work on a project uh, for developers as a developer and just to embrace the community and, and learn from them and, and pave this new path with them. You know, it's, a, it's one thing to look at it from a business standpoint. It's like, okay, these are my customers. But really, when it's a community, it's almost like you're all owning the product. It's everybody's, I guess is a better way to say it, uh, which, is, which is a little more familial, right, when you're building a product that way. Yeah, and that's what I love about working in the web. 
I've worked in iOS, VR, gaming. I've worked in a lot of different technical ecosystems, and the web has this really free and open feeling to it. You could even say maybe a little bit anarchistic in terms of what happens. There's no Apple controlling Xcode and like how iOS apps are built. I would say just working on this project, you talk about business and sort of other factors, and I, I, you could probably hear it in my voice. Like I have a, a really strong passion to bring this tool to the world because I've been there. I know what it's like to develop. I know there's a better way. And we're connecting with developers and the developers in our community know that as well. And our team knows that as well. And it's just, it's really exciting to be working on a project. Yeah, there's a business side of it, but there's also another layer underneath of just passion. Let's switch to team then. So how did you go about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? Basically, everyone who joined the early team, they'd already been founding engineers at startups that had an exit. That was pretty, uh, I wouldn't say the most important thing, but I think a really great attribute for a team like this, where we're doing something really challenging. Everyone thought it was perhaps impossible, right? And, and the group of people who are willing to go after the impossible and chase it with, with passion and also the deep technical skills uh, to work with lots of different technologies and, and the skill set spanning from really deep system work, the kind of reverse compiler aspect of the product, up to the UI layer. It's almost like the early team was like a pirate ship, right? We're going out to explore the unknown. Also managed to bring in you know, a good friend of mine and a friend of a friend and people from my immediate community on that, that early team. And as we've grown, we're actually starting to transition into team building through the community. So our latest additions to the team have actually been people who've been using MightyMeld. And so we're actually able to grow the team from the community directly, which has been a really exciting phase of the project for me. And I think a great way to build a tool like this is just find people who are passionate about it and they get their dream job, which is to work on something they're passionate about. That's something I'm really prioritizing in the team as we move forward. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vercel edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite in a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for Code Story listeners. Head over to terso.tech slash codestory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. 
Let's talk about scalability. And this will be interesting given what you're building and you're building it for opinionated developers. Uh, was this built to scale efficiently from day one or with scale in mind? Or are you having to fight this as you grow in any sort of way? Yeah, so scalability was a really big question along the way. However, we've actually managed to come up with an architecture where there are enough independent factors that we can scale very easily. So a lot of our stuff runs on the client side, and in terms of our server side, we've managed to get a scalable solution in place, and I'd say that aspect of scalability has been rather standard. But there's another aspect of scalability. Maybe scalability is not quite the right word, but there's been a tremendous challenge in terms of scaling to support the wide variety of React projects that exist. And what MightyMail does is you can take any existing React project, you pull in our dev dependency, you add our plugin. MightyMail will understand your code, however it is you wrote it, and work with your code, however, whether you're on Next.js or Veed or using Material UI or Tailwind, however you decide to build it, MightyMail will work with your code. That aspect of scalability has been a huge challenge for us. And even just like the way you decide to phrase your JSX and the, the kind of syntax variability that we see in code bases. And I still remember the early days of, you know, it's like, how many, does this work on any code bases? We kept downloading open source code bases and being like, doesn't work on this one, doesn't work on this one. There was just a tremendous amount of that that went into building Mighty Meld. And that was really our challenge. And so it's not a traditional scalability challenge. It's more of a, how can we build that genuinely agnostic solution that goes with the flow of however you want to architect your app? We're engineers and we really wanted to build that tool for engineers. We didn't want to limit their architectural choices in order to use Mighty Melt. So as you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built with Mighty Melt, what are you most proud of? I think team really comes to mind, like individuals and the relationships. They're really what motivates me the most in my work when I look back. But on top of that, I'd say there's something else that really popped in my head when you asked that question, and that is just the flow. There's something to the user flow of working with Mighty Meld where we've really just gotten it streamlined. And once you get into that groove, it's really hard to get out of it. You go back to the old way and you're like, where can I get my Mighty Meld back? Gaming has been extremely influential for me in terms of building interfaces because there's just something really pristine about being in the zone with a game and the way that the human just merges with the machine and you have this like great experience of synthesis. That's what we've been going after with Mighty Meld in terms of the experience of working on your React code base. And when I sit down and use Mighty Meld and experience the flow, I'm just incredibly proud of that feeling and the way we've managed to help, you know, the way it works for me and also for other developers just to connect them to their code bases in a much more visual, intuitive way that reduces their cognitive load and allows them to get, not just get their work done faster, but have uh, more fun doing it. Okay. Steven, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I would say the biggest mistakes we've really made have been building things that don't work out as well as we expected them to. And with an experimental project like this, some of the things you don't really know how they're going to work out until you go and experiment. I think one of these was a kind of feature that we were working on that allowed you to take components and drag them out onto kind of separate artboards. And I wouldn't really call it a mistake as much as something that like, as we got into that, we realized that there are like difficult 
kind of computational problems that we needed to solve in order to make that feature set work in a real way for developers. Our response to it was, I, I think we're really healthy in our culture of just like pushing pause and saying, you know what, we're just going to take that out of the, the product for now and focus on other things. And we decided with that to actually first solve the three or four computational challenges and like smaller features that could benefit from them before coming back to it. Well, Stephen, what does the future look like for Mighty Mill, the product, and for your team? I think we've really just scratched the surface in terms of what happens when you create a dev tool for web developers that's actually connected to the actual code, as opposed to the current browser dev tools that are more about what's in the DOM. We're experimenting a lot. Our generative AI integrations are really exciting. We're managing to do great things in terms of using prompts to update apps in real time, like while you're using them. And we have a lot of functionality around building components and working with components in richer ways, as well as some minor lifestyle improvements for developers, such as having Git commands in place and telling you more about how your app relates to your current state of your repository. There's a real feeling with Mighty Meld right now, like we've gotten a powerful set of functionality in and it works and it helps development, but we're really in this uncharted territory. There's no product out like it that is this kind of dev tool and we're learning every day. So I'm just really excited about the future in terms of the kinds of powerful functionality and superpowers we can bring to the world of React development. Alongside that is just team growth and community growth and continuing to get more support from the community and help support the community build faster and just growing that family of, of Mighty Meld even further. We're still at the point where I know everyone on the team and we're starting to get to that point where I don't know everyone who's using it. It turns from like a, a family to an extended family and we're, t- we're turning into a village. And uh, just it's really exciting to see that progression and experience that growth. So let's switch to you, Stephen. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. There is a, a product manager I worked for for a few years actually i was actually as a designer as a ux designer and he was just very inspirational for me in terms of how quickly he made decisions and how little ego was involved he really wasn't ego and he also was very good with some costs say you know what we're just going to stop working on this now in terms of technology i think a lot to my uh, phd advisor and working uh, with him and and how he shaped me as a professional, uh, not just in terms of developing technology, but also in terms of what I call social work, you know, being out in the world and talking about your ideas and presenting your ideas in ways that people can understand them. And also what it really takes to pursue a vision for a long period of time. He really showed me how to do that. And it's been a tremendous asset for me in pursuing this ambitious project Okay, so we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? It doesn't have to be something that, you know, didn't work. It could have been something that worked and even worked well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. If I were to go back to the beginning, I would know a lot more about what worked and didn't work. I mentioned doing things like building a component studio before Web App Studio. I certainly would love to have the lessons that I've had now. 
in hindsight, of course, it's easy to say what the false paths were. I don't know if it would have been that possible to know uh, at the time. So, yeah, there's definitely things that I would have done differently. But I think what's really striking to me about the Mighty Meld project is how many things I wouldn't have done differently. Like, I look at the founding engineering team, and they're just amazing. They're absolute rock stars. And have just, like, totally raised my bar for how good people can be <laughs> in so many different facets. And I think a lot of Mighty Meld success is that we've just been lucky. Lucky to bring the right people in and, and not make a lot of mistakes in terms of just core personnel and all of our investors and advisors and contributors, early customer feedback and the continuing customers we have on board now. I really feel like we've been really fortunate with the people around us to have the right people and not have any mistakes there. Stephen, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think there's one piece of advice that has really been really transformational for me and maybe the non-standard advice I tend to give early entrepreneurs when I talk to them, which is really focus on building that brain trust around what you're doing with more seasoned and experienced people who've been there the path of entrepreneurship is brutal. Uh, people read these you know, articles about these success stories. They're made to seem like dreams or fantasies. But the reality of the entrepreneurial path is harder than can really be expressed in words. And having people who've been there before to support you and help you with those decisions is really crucial. And I think a lot of early entrepreneurs are more focused on, oh, let's get this out, let's build this. But I really encourage them to spend time getting those right mentors in place to help them through the process. Just because some of these higher level decisions about pacing and timing, you really need experience to make those decisions correctly. And the right mentor can really set your company apart and help it progress down that path in the right way. I think that's fantastic advice. Well, Stephen, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Mighty Meld. Thanks for having me, Noah. It's been a great conversation. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.